You're listening to a UCD Humanities Institute podcast. This podcast series features recordings of lectures, seminars and events hosted by or associated with the University College Dublin Humanities Institute. Our podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify and on SoundCloud. For more information and to listen to hundreds of podcasts, go to ucd.ie forward slash humanities. In this episode, a recording from the third webinar organised as part of Framing Aging, a clinical, cultural and social dialogue. The webinar consisted of parts one and two of panel five, methodologies. The fourth speaker was Dr. Ulla Kriberneg from the University of Graz, who presented on Understanding Aging Bodies and Identities Through Cultural Representation, a literary gerontological reading of Margaret Atwood's Torching the Dusties. Start. I have my timer here as well. As this is the section on methodologies, I decided to talk about uh, literary gerontology or aging studies, and I'll be happy to discuss the differentiation between the two of them. But it's much easier with a, a concrete example. So I decided to adapt my, uh, my, my title a little bit, including Atwood, um, Atwood's short story, Torching the Dusties, as a showcase example. So today I'd like to talk about the role of literary gerontology and its preoccupation with the aesthetic power of stories, recognizing the value of literary criticism and aging studies to the understanding of what it means to age. As literary critics, we can contribute to a broader societal discourse on age and aging by sharing our understanding and interpretation of um, the aesthetics, the metaphors and the symbols of fictional narratives so I'll use Atwood's short story, Torching the Dusties, which uh, came out in 2014 as an example. But let me first start to talk about a few remarks about um, literary ontology. With the narrative turn, film and fiction have been functionalized by gerontologists to achieve a better understanding of what it means to grow old. Literary texts, uh-huh, okay have been included in textbooks such as this one for students of sociology, nursing or medicine to bring, to quote Tom Cole and others here, the authors or editors, to bring the humanities to students in order to evoke the humanities of, humanity of students. It helps the editor's right to form individuals who take charge of their own minds, who are free from narrow and unreflective forms of thought and to act compassionately in their public and professional words, unquote. This is crucial, of course, especially for medical or nursing students. Yet many gerontologists, unlike Tom Cole, have been hesitant to acknowledge the relevance of literary critics' study of film and fiction as a method in interdisciplinary gerontological collaboration. There is, of course, also a subversive element in this kind of study, such as reading a text against the grain in the feminist tradition, for instance, that literary gerontologists can offer. Um, and there's, you know, exactly about, you know, this debate that we are having in the GSA about the question of, of the arts and humanities. So as a literary studies scholar working in the field of aging studies, I approached this topic with a nod to Anne Wyatt Brown, who argued that it was a daunting task for scholars to, quote, study gerontological issues and theories, master an unfamiliar social science vocabulary and attract an interdisciplinary audience capable of responding intelligently and critically to their insights, unquote. And Anne Wyatt Brown admires, she says, those pioneers among literature scholars who have since the 1980s, quote, mastered gerontological theory, 
thereby bringing, bridging the gap between the two fields and creating a legitimate subspecialty in literary studies." Unquote. I fully agree with Anne Wyatt Brown here, but I also support Roberta Meyerhofer's point of view when she adds that the field of literary gerontology can only be established with a better understanding of what literature is and how it works, rather than with literary critics having to use traditional gerontological methods, unquote. So in the last decade, even though aging studies still gets um, hegemonized by gerontology very often, we have started to gain a new self-understanding and consciousness as literary studies scholars using our own approaches and methodologies very often together with gerontological theories. And of course, um, this is now something that we have been developing with theories such as Paul Higgs and, and Stephen Katz's and so on. So as a showcase example, I'd like to discuss Margaret Atwood's short story, Torching the Dusties from 2014, from her collection, The Stone Mattress, which is a dystopian text um, to show how a literature anthological reading can facilitate a better understanding of the development of current discourses about old age. So you see here the book cover and Atwood and on the right-hand side, you see um, the DVD cover, I guess, or the film poster. This has been made into a movie by Marlene Goldman from the University of Toronto, who many of you know. And she uses the slogan here, burn, baby, burn. <laughs> it's our turn. So Torting the Dusties follows Wilma and Tobias, two 80-year-old companions in their, uh, who are trapped inside Ambrosia Manor that you see here on the screen, um, an upscale gated retirement community. And the resident is besieged by a violent mob, an anti-elderly movement called Our Turn. The group operating internationally in large numbers, they say millions are rising up, um, gathers around nursing homes wearing baby masks. You can see that here um, at the door. Um, to, they set out to literally torch the dusties and they set care homes on fire all across America, North America, and seek to clear away the parasitic dead wood at the top and the dust balls under the bed. Ambrosia Manor's inhabitants no longer believe the radio announcement that help is on its way. Public discourse has shifted towards a normalization of the old as other, the fourth age as, as a black hole, as social death, as Haim Hazan maintains, or in the words of Chris Gillett and Paul Higgs, old age is clearly represented as an undesirable social imaginary here. This is reflected and perpetuated in the media, in the story, as is shown when Wilma, the story's focalizer, listens to a panel discussion on a radio show in which the binary opposition of old and young becomes evident. And I'm quoting from the story. They quibble to and fro about whether this thing that's going on is an outbreak of thuggery and assault on the whole notion of elders and civility or families or is it, on the other hand, understandable, considering the challenges and provocations, and to speak quite frankly, the shambles, both economic and environmental, that those under, say, 25 have been saddled with? There is rage out there, and yes, it's sad that some of the most vulnerable in society are being scapegoated. That's the radio interview. So the talk show pits young against old, insinuating that gerontocide might actually be a good solution, as the elderly are, quote, eating up the healthcare dollars, most of which are spent on those in the last stages of the host announces that they will now take calls from their listeners, unquote. As in Atwood's other work, her use of sarcasm as a means of social critique is evident. 
Her tale problematizes the way in which old age and the old body is other, stigmatized as useless, inefficient, and burdensome in a society that's based on production and consumption. And the solution portrayed in the story is radical. Old age is being constructed in Atwood's tale as a target group against whom injustice is gradually becoming discursively legitimated. In the story, one of the strategies of this legitimization is linking old age to climate change. The young mob kills old people because, as they argue, they have messed up the planet with their greed and selfishness, which has always been, as Stephen Katz points out, quote, a popular theme in early geriatrics and gerontology and remains to this day a common public misperception, unquote. In an interview, Atwood um, actually explains her choice of topic. It's a logical outcome, she says, of where our demographic is going. No life form can exist beyond its exhaustion of its food supply. No life form can exist beyond its exhaustion of its oxygen supply. And no life form can exist beyond its exhaustion of its fresh water supply. And all of those things are finite. At that point, she says, things usually get unpleasant. In torching the dusties, things are actually really getting unpleasant due to this discourse of exhaustion. The rationale behind the young group's aggression against the old is also motivated by their rage against the carelessness with which previous generations used to treat nature and natural resources. Um, you're probably <laughs> familiar with these pictures here. That's <laughs> sort of a parallel discourse. Um, the old are positioned as scapegoats who are responsible for the world's disastrous state. And our turn expresses this unmistakably. Quote, they say it's their turn, says Tobias. Their turn at what? At life, they say. They say we've had our turn, those our age. They say we messed it up, killing the planet with our own greed and so forth. And then Wilma says, yeah, we actually did, but not on purpose. So to highlight their innocence, the young activists, activists wear baby masks. And you see here again, a, a still from Marlene Goldman's film, and a quote from the story, Chubby, smiling babies. Some say time to go. Time to go, says Wilma. Babies? What does that mean? The mob says it very clearly. Time's up. Torch the dusties. Hurry up, please. It's time. Atwood's dystopia deals with what Sarah Falkus calls a generational anachronism or disorder. And she writes, quote, especially with climate change and the looming ecological devastation, it's no surprise that writers turned to a genre that highlights our vulnerability like almost no other genre. Very often, longevity and the kind of generational anachronism or disorder is at the core of such texts that can be read through the lens of aging studies and or ecocriticism, ideally both. And I think it's very productive to read aging studies together with ecocritical um, interpretations. And we are currently trying that in a new project we're developing in Graz. Um, such dystopias as, as um, Atwood's story here are very typical at the moment, and lots of them have been popping up. And I'm just, I mean, P.D. James's The Children of Men is a classic from 1992, but also Margaret Atwood's um, Mad Adam trilogy or Lucy Kirkwood's play, a post-apocalyptic risk drama, The Children. Um, and, and all these texts actually deal with societies in which a quote from Sarah Falkus, the life course, progress, and the promise of the future are all disrupted by threats to generational continuity. So dystopia can actually teach us quite a bit about that. And these threats, a kind of clash of generation, um, is not a new topic in literature. 
already Anthony Trollope's The Fixed Period um, from 1882, and, um, which is based on Shakespeare's contemporary Thomas Middleton's The Old Law from 1618-19, discusses geronticide to get rid of the burdensome old. Just like Torching the Dusties, these are dystopian satirical texts. But while Atwood's text ends with the nursing home going up in flames and normalizes the burden narrative of old age, as Andrea Cherise or Heike and also Stephen Cass have called it, the old law spares the old. It features two antagonists that, um, whose debate is important until today. So in the old law, there are two um, men discussing um, these two opposing positions, basically. Um, in an article on the old law, uh, Shortland writes that it anticipates the ethical philosophy that we today describe as the ethics of care, while the utilitarian approach relies on a calculation of what policy will achieve the greatest good for the greatest number. Care ethics valorizes caring for those in need and prioritizes personal interconnectedness. And I think that's also shown in Atwood's texts very clearly. It's so in my opinion, Torching the Dusties includes a hint to the old law because Wilma actually has a visual impairment and that's Charles Bonnet syndrome. And she sees tiny figures dressed in fine costumes that appear as benevolent hallucinations. So at the end of the story, Wilma and Tobias watch the bright flames uh, consuming the, the, the nursing home and they wonder why there are no fire trucks and, and hearing their fellow residents fading screams, they hope that they'll have a quick death. So once more, Wilma is actually accompanied by those little people that are very grotesque and they just appear in her head and they say, and she says they are blended with them, flickering and soaring are the little people, their red garments glowing from within, scarlet, orange, yellow, gold. They are swirling upward, they are so joyful. They meet and embrace, they part, it's an airy dance. Look, look, they're singing. This really reminds me of um, a Renaissance dance, and Middleton is actually a Renaissance author. So it could be seen as an intertextual reference, and I think there is quite a bit of uh, proof there in the story. She also describes these costumes. So all this can actually be seen, and I'm concluding here, really, this is my last paragraph, um, that this kind of intertextuality is something that literary gerontologists can look at. And interestingly, however, this story has very often been read um, in an ageist way, I think, because what we really have to take uh, in, into account here is that Wilma, um, as a frail and old and visually impaired woman, she has agency in the story, she's the focalizer. And so having agency in old age shouldn't be undermined by interpretations that are guided by preconceived and stereotypical notions of age and aging as decline, as Roberta Meyerhofer has also pointed out. Conventional interpretations of dystopian texts is disempowering because the victimized frail old people are often ageist readings. As literary geontologists, I think we can reveal aspects such as intertextuality and symbols and contribute to bringing these hidden meanings to light. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Framing Aging. For more information on the project and to access podcasts and videos from our events, check out the project website at framingaging.ecd.ie.